Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deannon, she, her pronouns, a program manager at MCP, and I am joined by an elementary school mentor, Jess Billy. Welcome, Jess. Hi, everyone. Uh, It's so exciting to be in this space with you. And thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. So before we get started, I really like to take, you know, just kind of see how my guests are feeling. So how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to chat with you. Yay. I'm also so excited that you are here in this space with me. So let's get started. Um, Tell us more about who you are and how you started your modern classroom journey. All right, so I was first introduced to the Modern Classrooms Project at a district professional development in November 2020. Um, the district I work for was looking for strategies to support remote learning and came across MCP. Uh, from there, I did the free course and I was instantly hooked. So my teacher, Bestie, and I, Sarah Krasowski, knew then that we liked the model, but we weren't ready to take the plunge just yet. But by mid-January, we just weren't satisfied with how we were teaching, um, especially remotely. So one day uh, we were, it was a Friday afternoon, I believe, and after school we were, we looked at each other and we were like, this just isn't working. Um, so we decided that we were just going to take the plunge. So that was like mid-January of 2021. Uh, we were on Zoom for five hours a day. So it was so hard to keep them engaged and learning, especially in math. Um, so Sarah and I, we just decided to take the plunge. Um, we spent tons of time planning and bouncing ideas off each other. And we were both ready to roll out some, certainly not the best version of the model by the next week. Um, since then, I've never looked back. Uh, it was lucky enough that our district sent, uh, my district sent me to the Virtual Summer Institute in summer 2021. I loved working with my mentor, Cheyenne, and having someone to, with experience um, to talk to. Um, and after the Virtual Summer Institute was completed, I was confident enough to apply and become a DMCE in September 2021. Shortly after that, I applied to be a mentor and then completed Mentor Academy to become an expert mentor in December 2021. And I just signed up to take my first three mentees starting in March. I'm very excited. That is all so exciting. I love the trajectory there. And I love the fact that you and Sarah were just like, hey, we're diving in headfirst and we're going to try our best, even though it's like a week later of you just like doing all of this, right? Like looking it up and getting to know MCP a little bit more. Um, And so listeners, if you don't remember, Sarah Kay is actually uh, one of our guests um, from episode 73, Self-Pacing in Elementary Classrooms. And I just love the fact that we're here with teacher besties. um, And that always just brings so much joy um, whenever I hear teacher besties just doing things together. And so again, Thank you for sharing that. Um, So tell us a bit more about your school. I know that you and Sarah work together, um, but uh, tell us about like what grade you teach, how many classes you have, um, just anything that you'd like to share about your school. Yeah, um, definitely having Sarah has been such a huge um, support system through my journey with MCP. So I'm super lucky to have her. Um, So I'm a third grade teacher in Lynn Public School District. It's in Lynn, Massachusetts, which is just about 20 miles north of Boston. Um, I've been teaching third grade for 10 years now, and I've been in third grade the whole my whole teaching career. Um, And I teach all subjects. This year, I currently have 18 students. Um, I the school I'm at is actually a smaller school in a huge city. So Lynn Public School is a huge district. It's got over 16,000 students and nearly 2,000 educators. Um, but our small school of Lincoln Thompson Elementary School, we have about 250 students. Um, the demographic of Lincoln Thompson, it's a lot like uh, Lynn Public Schools with a large population of Hispanic students. Um, 80% of our students are considered high needs and about 60% have a first language other than English. Um, Before the pandemic, we had shared technology in our school. So we had iPad and laptop carts that we would share. Um, We had a computer lab in the school and then we'd in each classroom, we had a couple of desktop computers. Now we are a one-to-one district. Yay! 
That's always so exciting. The one-to-one. Um, I just remember teaching as well and having, you know, the computer lab and the desktops in the classroom and how, how much that's evolved. So that's exciting that your students now have access to their own technology. Um, and so listeners, as you can see, it's me and Jess, right? And typically we have a secondary perspective. And so, um, I'm offering up my perspective as a secondary teacher as well as a PD leader with uh, teachers and adult learners. And so, um, when I started implementing Modern Classroom, right, I worked at a charter school um, where we had one-to-one, so students had technology. We didn't have a computer lab or anything like that, but the students just kind of traveled with their technology, um, with their laptops, Chromebooks, really. Um, I taught learners with IEPs, 504s. They were emergent bilinguals or multilinguals. I had about three classes and 60 minutes uh, long, and so... Um, that was my experience when I started implementing Modern Classroom in my own classroom. Um, but then now I transitioned to adult learners, right? So I get to work with teachers all over the world as well as like all content, all grade levels. And so it's just been such an interesting transition from going to like middle schoolers to adult learners, you know, so there's like definitely some similarities and then huge, of course, differences. But I'm excited to be able to share this experience with you all as well. And so Jess, we've had a couple of questions about opening and closing routines. Typically, when teachers think about or educators think about self-pacing, right? It's just kind of like, oh, well, cool. We're just going to let our learners go. (laughs) And kind of like the opening and the closing routines get thrown out of the window because it's just a lot, you know, it's it's a misconception that when it's self-pacing, the students really are just like, on their own. And so um, we've had a, just a couple of questions about the routines with self-pacing as far as like modern classroom is concerned. So how did you start your classes with your students? What were your opening routines with them? So I am with my class of third graders all day. So from 8.15 to 2.15, I am with them. So we definitely have specific routines uh, for each block to begin each block. But the way my schedule worked out this year is that my math block is at the very beginning of the day. So right after our morning circle. During our morning circle, we focus on social emotional learning. So just like many adults, many of my students don't like math. So it's really nice to start off that math block with a feeling of calmness. Um, when morning circle ends, students know that they're able to get their devices and their math binders and come to their seats. And as they're doing that, I post our public pro- uh, progress tracker on the smart board. Together, we look at the progress tracker and we discuss which lesson is on track, who's working on revision, and who might be ahead of schedule. This time gives students ideas on who to ask for help or who they can partner up with for the day. I try to encourage them to set goals for themselves on what they'd like to accomplish. Some days I might start with a whole class mini lesson where I can clear up any major misconceptions before I release them to get to work on their own. Whenever I notice a lot of students are stuck on the same thing, I try to make sure I address it as a mini lesson before the next block. All right. So follow up questions. Um, when you have those, uh, when you have a lot of your, your students, um, in the classroom with, um, challenges of a topic or a skill that you're, you're, you're teaching them, um, you say that you address those typically in, in the class block, right? So does that mean that like you do it in the beginning of the class? I guess, I guess it kind of depends. Most times it will be at the beginning of class. Um, if it's something that I noticed from the day before, at, by the end of the uh, block, I might say, okay, this is definitely on my to-do list. First thing before we get started tomorrow, I really want to review this. Um, if it's something that I'm noticing in the middle of a class period um, that's really urgent, I will stop and I'll make a quick announcement. But usually I try to leave the mini lessons to before um, the next block so that they're really starting with that idea in their mind and they can move forward with their learning. I love the idea of a mini lesson. So when you say a mini lesson, Jess, how long does that typically take you? Um, probably five minutes, five minutes. And I'm just explaining, um, using the board, doing a quick example for them. I love that. Five minutes. That's really quick. And it's, you know, concise and straight to the point. And I really love that you address um, the whole class when you um, notice that some, you know, majority of your students are struggling or they, they're confused or something. I know that I've definitely done that with my my classes as well. Um, and so I do something very similar um, that you do as well with my middle school students is that I started out with a social emotional learning do now, um, you know, because I feel like our students are already um, conditioned to have a do now when they walk in, right? Um, And so when I um, started with Modern Classroom, I decided to shift gears from like my my do now to like from content 
to just checking in with my students. And so they knew that every time they walked into my classroom, um, I had on the board basically announcements, our agenda, and um, some shout outs, as well as like what to look for. Um, and my students all knew I had flexible seating, but my students knew that sometimes I would have seating charts for them and I never made it into a big deal. It was already just like up on the board and I just tell them as they walk in, hey, there's a new seating chart just for today's class. Find your name, find that table. Um, and they just are able to do that. Um, so like efficiently, so there's no need for me to be like, Hey, you know, student A move here, student B move there. It was just kind of like, it was, it was easier for my students to follow and they never questioned it. Cause that was just like our culture. They just knew Ms. D was going to change the seating chart whenever. Um, and then there are times where they get to choose their own seats, um, depending on the lessons. And so another thing too, that I used to do, um, I was always at the door grading my students as they walk in. And so if they needed their binder, their binders were right by the door. So as soon as they walked in, I would tell them, Hey, you need your binders today and they will grab it. So my colleague, Emily, actually, she had like a draw race board and she just had the announcement on there, like you need binders. So instead of her saying it over and over, the students were able to read that as they walk in so that they knew before they sat that they were going to go grab their binders. Um, and so that was another thing that I really liked doing in, in our opening routines is that the students knew the expectations. They As soon as they walk in, they um, either have a new seating chart or they need their binders or they just go straight to their seats and then they do their SEL do now. And so my do now consisted of just like five questions. So I asked them how they were feeling um, and it was a drop down menu and it was like a weather thing, right? Like sunny, rainy, stormy. Um, and then my students gave me some feedback on what kind of words they wanted to add in, which was a lot of fun as well. And then we taught and then I asked them, are you on pace, behind pace or ahead of pace and then asking them, what is your goal for today, right? Like, what do you want to get done today? And then the last one was basically like, hey, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me? So, you know, our students love telling stories. So this was a great way for my students to just kind of keep me posted on how they're doing outside of school, um, in school, whatever they want to share with me. And so this was a great way for me to get to know my students as well. Um, and I really love that part. Um, another thing that I did was that after about five minutes, when students got settled after five minutes, I had a timer on the board as well. Um, and I'll share that out to the, um, I'll share that out in the show notes as well. Kind of like my PowerPoint template of like the agenda announcements, um, seating chart as well as a timer. And so after like five minutes, I would have students, the entire class pause. And that's when I go over the pacing tracker. And I had a Google Sheet as well as a PowerPoint slide. And so what I did was they all had access to their pace to the Google Sheet. So they know exactly where they find that in their LMS. And I always told them to pull it up. But then I had a simplified version on a slide. So basically, it's just three columns of students on pace, students behind pace, students um, ahead of pace. And then in that um, announcement or in that slide, I would have the lesson experts, I would have celebrations and shout outs. And so that was just part of the opening routine as well. And then I went over what the, um, the goal is for today, where students should be for um, today. And then as well as like our essential questions to keep in mind as they continue working on our unit, as well as our statement of inquiry and that we were an IB school. So we uh, were really intentional with having the statement of inquiry right in front of our students every single day so that they knew what we were working on for that unit. Um, and so that was just a little bit of what I did for my opening routines. And it seems like a lot, but that was all done within like five minutes. So it was really, really cool. And so, Jess, how did you introduce your opening routine to your students? Like, what kind of adjustments did you have to make? And why did you choose those specific opening routines? So I love what you said about the do now. So I was going to mention this, that I um, that was something that I added to my routine as I got more comfortable with the modern classroom um, model. So I guess I should say that I felt like I needed something more tangible. I talked about how I wanted them to set goals and I really wanted them to, um, you know, look at the progress tracker. And we did, we had a class conversation about where is the prog, what, what's the on pace lesson? Um, where do you need to be today? Where should you be moving today? But I really wanted them to, um, start to pick up those routines and, and be able to set goals for themselves on their own. So, 
there are so many great examples of those do now that, that I've learned from all of these different MCP educators. And I saw one recently on the Instagram in January. It was a daily goal sheet that an educator from, I think it was Robbinsdale area schools had created to check in with their students. And I loved it. So I kind of created a version that was very similar to what I saw. Um, so shout out to Miss Manson for the amazing idea. Um, and the daily goal sheet was very similar to what you were just saying, Tony Rose. So it had um, an academic and a social emotional check-in. So it asked students to first reflect on what lesson they're on, what the on-track lesson is, and what their goal for today will be. And then the second part asks how they're feeling um, internally. So um, the social emotional again, and I put a little emoji rating scale in there, and a place they write uh, anything they want to share with me. So this has been such an awesome adjustment to our routine. Um, we do also do flexible seating in my classroom, but students, because I'm with them all day, a lot of those um, routines that I've heard you talking about are done in those first maybe 10 minutes of the elementary school day while they're eating breakfast and coming in, they're finding their spots. Um, so we, we do have a lot of very similar routines. They were first exposed to these routines from the beginning of the year when I rolled out a unit zero. So the unit zero, I focused on growth mindset because I wanted it to be something that was low stakes as the unit zero should be. And I, I wanted to really teach about growth mindset at the beginning of the year because I really feel like what better um, thing to work on with the modern classroom project than growth mindset. Uh, so we would every day we would begin our block discussing the progress tracker and we'd have a lot more conversation in depth conversations at that point because it was really new for the students. So they would really they would struggle to to use their own individual pacing um, trackers, the progress trackers. They would um, kind of forget to update them or they're not really sure where they're supposed to be or did I actually complete this? Uh, so those first few weeks of school that we spent doing the unit zero, we really kind of zoned in on what we needed, um, what I was expecting them to do at the beginning of the math block. Um, so they know just to come in and get those binders in, and that we're going to go over the progress um, tracker in the front of the classroom. And you know what, Jess, thank you so much for reminding me. Um, we actually did get a lot of attention for that, um, the do now that we posted on Instagram. So we'll put that in the show notes so our listeners can check that out as well. Um, I love that you incorporated emojis because I feel like that's such a thing now, right? Um, and everyone just loves using emojis. And uh, it just brings me so much joy to do that. And it's, it's quick for students to just circle which one they're feeling as well, especially I feel like, you know, teaching uh, um, upper elementary, that's, you know, the emojis work really well with the daily goal sheet and the, the, the do now that you have with your students. Um, I really love the fact that like you start out with growth mindset, right? Um, something with our model is that we are getting our students to embrace revisions. So that means that they embrace their mistakes, right? So it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make revisions. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that you need another try at it and that's okay. And so I think starting out with growth mindset is really good. And, and like you said too, um, our students are, you know, our opening routines, we need to practice that with our students. It's not like, a one-time thing or they'll get it right there and then it's actually a consistent thing right so um and even if you do have small changes something that you add on like you know how jess you were talking about you added on the um the daily goal sheet, right? Even if you make some like small minor changes, students still feel, you know, um, like they know the routine as they walk in. Like, yeah, you can add this on, but like they know like this is how it looks. And I think the beauty of our our learners, our young learners, that they're able to adapt to anything as long as you give them the opportunity to practice, the opportunity to get, you know, to get to know the routine um, and really just to have them be part of the conversation as well. Um, and so so thank you for sharing that. Um, I know for me, like, you know, very similar to you, I wanted to just give um, my students the autonomy, right, to just be, to take to take control of their learning. Um, and so I implemented some opening routines um, and I just kind of showed them and like modeled how that looked. And so um, my students were not used to coming in, doing their do now and then getting right to work, right? Typically they were like, they have their do now and then the teacher lectures. And so it was a lot of practice that students need to pick up where they left off the day before. Um, and so so my students got a hang of that maybe the second unit. So that would be like 
12 weeks into the school year, because now at that point they know, okay, this is what self-pacing is. Um, I know what to do next. So there's no need for me to wait around. Um, and so a lot of my students, you know, utilize their time wisely. I had a couple of students who did not use their time wisely and they just kind of played around and there's natural consequences with that. Right. And so, um, we talked about, flexible seating. And um, my students knew that I had the right to move them if they were distracted. And so again, it's just a lot of like practicing, um, being very clear and transparent about what the opening routines look like for your class. Um, and then if you are to change anything, make revisions or add anything or take away something, you know, having that conversation with students is really impactful as well, just so that they're aware and they're not getting caught off guard. I think that sounds great. I think with the elementary level, I think a lot of these routines, we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the school year. I know at every level, like you said, it took a few weeks. Um, I know at the beginning of the school year, September is really a big routine in the elementary, maybe even October. Um, So we practice those routines so that they're just solid. And now when my math block starts, when when our morning circle is over and I say, okay, time for math, my students know exactly what to do. So it's really those routines are so effective. Yeah. And even thinking about like adult learners, right? If you're leading PD with your teachers, um, having a, an, a, a consistent opening routine is really helpful as well because everyone likes transparency. Everyone likes to know um, what is next, right? What they should expect. They, sh- they, they like knowing what to expect. And so I know when I work with adult learners, um, our opening routine, and this was actually such a great um, a great thing too. I always have to remind myself, right? Like the, the things I do in the classroom, I can also do that with adult learners. And so if I, you know, since I was doing SEL check-ins with my students, I should also be doing SEL check-ins with my adult learners. And so what that looked like was it wasn't a do now, it wasn't a form, but it was just, it's, it's more like, you know what, let's take the next five minutes to go into breakout rooms if we're in a virtual space or like in a table group if we're in person. Let's take the first five minutes to just kind of check in with ourselves, right? Um, this is something that I tell people all the time. It's like it's really important for us to name and acknowledge our feelings walking into a space so that we can be aware of our reactions, our words, our behaviors. Um, and it actually loosens up the environment as well. Um, and so I've noticed with my adult learners is that, you know, hey, you know, I introduced myself and then it's like, okay, the next five minutes, you're just going to talk in small groups and just kind of touch base and check in. Um, and whenever they come back after the five minutes, like the environment is just so much different. Like they're coming back with smiles or laughing. Um, and that just brings, you know, so much joy when we're doing this work together. And so it's really good to be able to just check in and so taking that um, and putting that in part of your opening routine is really important for any age, really. Um, so cool. Um, all right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break um, for an announcement. And when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about um, our closing routines. Hi, everyone. It's Kareem here from the Modern Classrooms Project. I just wanted to share some exciting news about our big virtual summer institute this summer, the summer of 2022. Now, as many of you all know, the summer is one of the most popular times for folks to learn our model. It's a time where folks can take a step back from their normal classroom experience and really rethink and redesign their approach to teaching and learning. And this summer, we plan to train 3,000 educators this summer. Now, educators come through a variety of ways. You can enroll individually. You can enroll through a school and district partnership. And this year, we have some pretty awesome regional scholarship opportunities. These are scholarship opportunities for educators. If you're located in D.C., New York City, Connecticut, Chicago, Seattle, the Twin Cities, or Tulsa, These are folks who can just apply if you're an educator in these communities. And if you get accepted, you get a full scholarship to our Summer Institute and some really great perks, including a $500 stipend. So check them out. You can just go to modernclassrooms.org backslash scholarships to see the regional scholarships. And you can just go to our website and you'll see at the top announcement bar, you can learn more about our Virtual Summer Institute, see the variety of ways you can enroll individually or collaborate with us on a school or district partnership. I hope everyone's doing all right. Good luck with the rest of the year. Thank you for all that you do. 
All right. And now we're back with Jess. And we just got done talking about her um, opening routines and also what I do with my middle school students as well as my adult learners. And so we'll continue talking about closing routines now. So we'll make that shift. Jess, you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Woohoo. Um, so one of our implementers asked, I want to get better about how I end class. I usually end class haphazardly. Um, so this implementer was curious if there was any end of class routines that, you know, you like, um, and that you find effective. So how do you end your classes with your students? So I like to end my math block with the public progress tracker again. Um, at the end of the block, I feel is the most, um, we get a lot accomplished with the public progress tracker for the next block, for the next day. Um, so while the students are working, I have my teacher tracker that I like to go around and I keep track of where everyone is. They have their own individual trackers that they're responsible for updating throughout the unit. So everyone kind of knows where they are on their own. At the end of the block, I really like to come together as a whole group and share where we are, share those accomplishments. Um, so when I call everybody back to their seats at the end of the math block, we update the public progress, progress tracker together. So for example, I might ask, okay, who made it to lesson five today? And then the students can raise their hand and we might give them a round of applause. Woohoo, you made it. Um, and then we'll adjust, I'll adjust the progress tracker in live time. So next to their name, I'll change whatever lesson four to lesson five. Um, I like to do this in front of the class at the end because I think it's a really nice way to celebrate the accomplishments of students. And it's also a good way to add ownership to the students who maybe didn't make as much progress as they probably could have during the block. So I might say um, to a student, for example, who maybe only made it through a video, you know, how come you didn't get through more than the video today? What happened during the block? And there could be a reason for that. There could be no reason for that. But it gets them thinking in their brain about what they have accomplished during the block. Um, so instead of using the my own teacher tracker at the end of the day or when I'm home doing my, my work for the next day planning, um, I could update the public tracker there, but I really like to do it in class together because like I said, it does add that extra layer of ownership and it also helps me stay reliable. It make, helps me make sure I don't forget to update it before the next day. So um, we'll talk about, okay, so tomorrow's lesson is uh, on track, lesson is lesson, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you're on lesson this, you need to get to this and this. Uh, some people are starting the should do tomorrow or, oh, I have a few who are on the aspire to do. Here are some helpers for tomorrow. And it's a really nice way since I've incorporated that new daily um, check-in. It's a really nice way to check in. And now I can see that this student actually wrote a goal down in paper that they really wanted to reach lesson five. And I can say, wow, look at you. You actually reached, you You finished, you mastered lesson five. You're on to lesson six. That's awesome. You met your goal. And there's no greater satisfaction for a student than that, to know that they've met their goal independently on their own. After we're kind of done updating and discussing goals, I like to do shout outs. So um, I might say, wow, I noticed um, I noticed Bobby back there. He did such a great job this whole time. I noticed he went to two students to ask for help. He came back to his computer. He got right back to work. He rewatched the video and then he moved on to his activity and was able to pass in his mastery check. Way to go, Bobby. And then we'll all kind of cheer for Bobby a little bit. Um, students I also encourage them to, you know, is there anyone special that you want to shout out to today? Is there anyone that helped you during the block? Is there anyone that you noticed that was doing an extra awesome job today that you really want them to be noticed for? And then I'll add that. So I write that on the public progress tracker as well. So I usually have like a star or something or a section that says shout outs and we'll write that at the end. So I really, I, I love the closing. I love to close like this. I love to spend a lot of time looking into the progress tracker as we're closing. It's also the time when my students are eating snacks. So they're actually kind of like quiet eating and engaged while they're while we're talking about the progress tracker, which is really kind of cool. Um, so it's it's just been a really nice way to end the block. Um, and students are, they're really kind to each other and they get really excited about um, updating the progress tracker together. Jess, you make me want to go back in the classroom and just redo everything I did as far as closing routines. <laughs> 
Um, that's amazing. I, I love the fact that you update the progress tracker together at the end of um, class, because I feel like a lot of our implementers ask like, hey, when do you have the time to update the tracker? Um, and I think that that is a really great way to update the tracker together as a class. And then that way you can see accomplishments, like you said, and I'm sure that just like brings so much joy to students as well to be recognized, right? Um, and so I, I like that. And I know that if I ever go back in the class, I would definitely do that. I would end it with um, updating the pacing tracker together. And then typically I started my classes with shout outs. Um, but now I'm thinking maybe it's better to do it at the end so that it's like real time, right? Like Ms. D saw what I did today and I'm getting that shout out today. Um, and I really like, I really like that. And I, I, I feel like I should have done that because I do a lot of po positive narration throughout class, right? Just to kind of um, recognize and acknowledge what students are doing. But I think the shout outs at the end would be really powerful as well. And then you like take it up another notch by saying that you then have a community shout out. So how does that, you know, typically look with students? Do you have, do you limit it to just three to five shout outs or do you just kind of say like whoever has shout outs can have shout outs? How does that look for you? So some days I will ask them, I'll say who has, um, who has a shout out that they want to give out today. And if I have a bunch of people raise their hand, I might pick two of them and then I give the rest a post-it and I have them write the little, a little note to the, whoever they want to shout out to on their post-it. Um, and then they'll deliver it to their desk, which is also kind of fun because it's like little uh, fan mail, which is really nice. Um, so I like to do that. Um, I, yeah, I don't like, I don't want to share too too many shout outs at the end because I don't want it to take too much time away from the next block. Like I do try to keep, even though that seems like I'm doing a lot at the end, I do try to keep this to like a five to seven minute period. So, you know, sometimes our kids can be long and winded when they're explaining who their, you know, best friend is and why they helped them that day and whatnot. So I like to try and keep it short and sweet. You know, give me give me the name of the student and tell me why you wanted to shout them out. Don't tell me a story. Don't tell me super long story. If you want to write it, write it down on a post-it and we'll be happy to share them later. Um, I'm, I'm cracking up because you're so right. Our kids, our students absolutely love to just talk. Um, and so as you were talking, I was thinking about possibly having like sentence starters and just kind of like fill in the blanks for shout outs just to kind of keep them um, short and concise. Um, so I love the idea of post-it notes and then delivering it to their peer. I think that's also just as great as a verbal shout out. Um, I know that one of our implementers on Facebook in the Facebook group um, shared a photo of a shout out wall where students were just shouting each other out about like all the cool things they were doing in class. And that was another cool thing too. Um, and that was, you know, Jess, I had that, I was going to ask you as well, like how long does your closing routine um, last? And you said it five to seven minutes. And it seems like we're doing a lot, but you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know that like in five to seven minutes, you can do all of this. It's a lot of reiterating what I already, what they all have already done and what I've already done. So that's why it goes so fast. It's not really new information because I have my checkboard, my checklist throughout that I'm checking. So I really know who's made it to lesson five already. And they should know that they've made it to lesson five based on their own progress tracker. So that's why it kind of goes quickly because I'm kind of in my head, like just waiting for verbal affirmations, but I know exactly where everybody is. So that kind of helps it speed along. Um, tell us more about your checklist. Yeah, so I um I have I use a teacher tracker. So it's just a checklist and it says um, you know, what are each step of the lesson. So the video, the activity, the mastery check, and as they go through it, I'll check it off. So I'm usually sitting at my teacher um nest area is with all of my bins of mastery checks and activities. So I see when they're coming. Um in fact, they have to let me know when they are coming to get a mastery check. They're kind of right past it, like they have to get it from me. Um, so I'm right there. So I do know I'm like, Oh, you're starting mastery check three, great job. So I check it off, you know, that they finish the activity. Um, and then I can, uh, if, if they need to revise on a mastery check, I'll put like a little star next to it. That, that might be where like, I write a grade, I write little notes to myself, even like, um, Jennifer and um, Douglas need to work together on this tomorrow or make sure you talk about this first. Um, it's just like a little paper for me for all of my thoughts that I have during the um, block. So it kind of it's just a living document that I 
I have with me at all times during um, my block. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's a tool that um, teachers, you know, implementers who just starting with Modern Classroom that we sometimes just forget about, right? I mean, even when I was doing Modern Classroom, I didn't have that checklist, although I feel like that would have been so helpful for me because I already walked around with a clipboard, so I might as well have had a checklist to just kind of make sure that um, I take note of where my students are. And so um, thank you for sharing that. Um Another thing, too, um, before we close out on our opening and closing routines, um, I had I'd, I'd asked one of the program managers about their closing and opening routines. And Lisa shared with me that she knew of someone who actually had a different opening routine on Fridays. And so I kind of wanted to let our listeners know that that's OK also. Right. Like every Friday, students know that this is the type of routine that's going to happen. And so Lisa was sharing with me that for um, that implementer, what they had was that it was a grade and progress check, and that was their opening routine. So um, the kids crafted an email to families, to their own families, to update their families and caregivers on process and goals for that week. And I feel like that was such a great idea because I was sending those emails to caregivers and CCing the student. And so I just sent a weekly email um, updating everyone of the progress. And of course, all stakeholders had access to the public pacing tracker that I had, but it was really nice for me to do a weekly email as well to caregivers so that they kind of know what's happening. But, um, and I know with this movement, I've seen a lot of implementers do craft that email um, or have their students craft that email to their caregiver. So it's, that's one less thing that teachers have to do. And so um, do you do anything like this, Jess, where like one day is a little bit different and you have a different you know, focus? Or would you say that every day is pretty similar? So every opening routine is pretty similar in the fact that we do the um, the daily check-in and we just quickly look over the progress tracker. Um, we do have our, like I mentioned, we do our morning circle right before math. So on Fridays, I actually do um, soft start Fridays. And a soft start is when students like play like board games and things like that with each other. So it's just kind of a start way to roll into a Friday, which happens to be a kind of a hard, a high stress day for a lot of students. Um, spelling tests, sometimes we have reading assessments. Fridays are just a lot of assessments. So a soft start is a really nice way to slowly welcome them into the classroom. And they can use that soft start time to if they felt like they needed to do, catch up on some um, math work, they could do that. They could rewatch a video. They could um, uh, do an activity. If they felt like they wanted to study for a spelling test, they could do that then. But it's a really nice way for them to um, enter the day on Friday. And so when they come into math on Friday, they're almost even happier than they are throughout the week when, you know, working on that morning circle, it really kind of like, like you mentioned you with your adult learners, you like to just let them talk for five minutes and they come back and they're so much happier. That's how we are after morning circle. Um, we're just all kind of like ah, relaxed and we just all talk to each other and we've built this community in our classroom. Um, so it's even more so on Soft Star Fridays because they're just super excited to be playing logic games with each other and board games. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I love the concept of soft start on Fridays, right? I mean, it's just very inviting and, you know, and the students all have options that they get to choose what works best for them and what they need right there and then. And even with your third graders, it's nice that, you know, it shows like our, our young learners are able to prioritize and able to choose and make those decisions as far as like what they think is best for them right there and then. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I have to be completely honest, I didn't really have a, a like a strong closing routine when I was teaching. Um, it was more so like I knew that I I always looked at my time. My time management was really great. And like, I was very efficient with my time, but I knew like five minutes before class ended, that was when I would just kind of like start telling students like, hey, you have five minutes left and make sure that you do A, B, C, D, um, all of that. But we never had like a class discussion at the end. Um, and so now I'm thinking, you know, if I ever, again, if I were to go back in the classroom, I would do that a little bit differently of just making sure that we have that time to just celebrate one another, um, share accomplishments and just kind of just check in again, right? And it would be nice to like cycle back to like checking in and seeing like, okay, how are we feeling? 
right now at this moment, right? Um, and so I know that I didn't get a chance to do that with my students, but I'm definitely being more intentional with my adult learners as well. So um, my closing routine when I lead PD with adult with adult learners is that. We start off with the SEL, right? That's our opening routine. You have that conversation. You create that community. You get to know each other just a little bit um, so they're not complete strangers. And then at the end is another like collaborative discourse, right? Of like, okay, now that we've learned all of this, like how are you feeling about um, knowing about these things, right? Or like, what are your next steps? So there's always that chance to have that conversation. Um, and that's what I try to do with my closing routines. And so... Um, All right, cool. So we're going to shift gears, Jess. We're going to talk about like virtual or hybrid. Um, You started in um, November 2020, or just at least you were introduced to MCP, which is like COVID season. And so um, how did your opening and closing routines change depending on the format of your class? So whether it's virtual, hybrid, in-person, did it change or did it stay the same? So I taught this model last year 100% virtually. We were until we were 100% virtual until April, I believe. So my first experience from mid-January until April was all online. Um, my routines were similar in the fact that I, I think it's important to begin and end each block with the public tracker, with the progress tracker. Um, especially, you know, in the morning, it was a really good way to say, you know, it was a really good reminder for my third graders to say like, hey, remember, you're on this lesson. We did this yesterday. You don't need to go back and question it. Just get right started. Um, But I will say I didn't spend as much time in the closing routine last year. I kind of did a lot of it on my own um, after class. So I didn't have as much of the shout outs. I didn't have um, as much of that, like, who made it to this, who made it to that. I would kind of talk about like, okay, I know that a few people, you guys made it here. All right, great. I'm going to update this later. And then I would kind of put it away and um, move on to the next thing. Um, And I also didn't really spend much time like doing whole class mini lessons, like I said, that I did at the beginning of the year. Um, Because I felt like it wasn't as effective during Zoom. Um, My students were on Zoom for five hours a day. So it was really hard to teach them on Zoom. Um, And especially to try and teach them like a a misconception when all students are doing different things. So I would, if, if I noticed a misconception last year virtually, I would pull someone in a breakout room and I would kind of talk to them. I mean, I would be repeating it a lot if I could bring a few people into the breakout room who are having stuck um, a similar issue, I would, but I really didn't want it to be more than like four people in the breakout room because I really found that their attention just completely was diminished the more and more people that were there. So I really kind of tried to keep those mini lessons to really, really mini lessons. And um, yeah, so I didn't, I also didn't have any um, do now check in. I kind of uh, I, I had like a morning poll on our um, LMS. So I would always ask them like some kind of question in the morning and we would still do a morning meeting, but we didn't really like do any goal setting with our um, progress. So I think that that's definitely something that has really come alive since we've been back into the classroom and especially my closing routine. That's really kind of come alive since we've gone back into the classroom as well. I really like the shift that you mentioned, right? So when you're in Zoom, you do a poll instead of a form. I wish I would have thought about that. I still continued with my form um, when we went virtual. Um, And so at my school, um, we had longer periods, like longer class periods, but we were told to just keep the students um, in like, what's the word, synchronously um, for about 10, 15 minutes and then letting them go. To, to get their work done, but staying online in case our students needed us. And so those 15 minutes really had to be, you know, um, intentional with my students. So it was a lot of just like, I knew I only had 15 minutes with them. So we did the opening routines. I still continued the announcements, the agendas, um, the pacing tracker. Um, and then we would do like a community uh, building activity, like a question of like, okay, what's in the chat? Tell me what Netflix show you're watching right now, or what show you're watching right now that you think everyone should watch. So in the chat, students will have those conversations, which was really great. Um, and then I go over what they're going to do for class when they get off of Zoom with me. And so um, it was a really quick 10, 15 minutes, um, and we didn't check back in at the end. I believe some teachers did do that check-in at the end, but I, again, I needed to work on my closing routines. And so I would just, you know, really utilize the 10, 15 minutes that we had in the beginning um, when I was teaching virtual. 
so that um, I could check in with my students, make sure that they're good. And like you said, Jess, you had a really good point, right? Like live lectures online, <laughs> that never works. <laughs> um, I was able to watch some teachers um, still continue the lecture online. It's just really difficult to engage students, right? And so um, you were able to just break it down into small groups and you saw that that was more effective for you. And that was what I saw as well. And so in my announcements, you know, in the pacing tracker, I would say, hey, these four students are actually going to stay with me while everyone else go and do their work on their own. But like these four students come uh, stay, stay in this call. And we're going to briefly go over um, some of your misconceptions and some of the mistakes that we went over. And so it was never seen as like, uh, oh, you're in trouble. But it was more so like, oh, Ms. D's going to help me with something. Um, and I think that's really important too on how you rolled that out. Uh, and so I, I worked a lot. I did a lot of one to one um, when we did uh, virtual, just because I felt like that was much more impactful for my students. And then I kind of were, I was able to spend that time with them, which what some of them really needed. Um, and so that was a shift as well. But I really like that you said you used poll a lot, which I probably should have done. Um, and then lots of small group when you were doing virtual. Um, I don't have any experience with hybrid. I can only imagine <laughs> what that entails. Um, and so uh, you, Jess, you were virtual and then you just were back in the classroom in person? Yeah, it was zero to 100. We did no hybrid, but I think it actually preferred that way. Yeah, I I would have to agree with you. I know I was an instructional coach where we went virtual and then hybrid and then in person and the hybrid part was just so difficult. It was such a difficult um, format. So I guess I should say when we did come back in person, there was still the option for students to stay home. So I did have four students that were remote while the rest of my students were um, in person. So that was kind of like a little hybridish because I had to be um, in two places at once, which was really hard. But the model made that so much easier. Um, because I felt like they were actually learning. Like I wasn't leaving anyone behind. So I'd like have a few minutes to check in with my my Zoomies. I'd call them Zoomies. And then I'd have a, um, a send them off on their own. And then I'd work with the kids in the room. And, you know, they were always on Zoom and I'd always be there. So if they needed to come back, had any questions at any time, I was there to support them. But I felt like I should include that. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point as well, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that with this model, it doesn't matter the formatting or the structure, right? Like students are able to access or able to come and enter the learning environment whenever, wherever, however they like. Um, so I have a follow-up question with your Zoomies and your Roomies. Did your Roomies, the students in your room, were they on Zoom as well or not at all? No, they were not, no. <laughs> So they were just, I had my four students who were on Zoom, like pretty much displayed on the smart board. And then I had like an extra camera that would, I would like shoot out to see some of the class because I wanted them to be able to like see some things other than just me and my computer space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. That sounds very similar to what I did at my last school. Um, okay. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, Jess? So I was going to say um, that I think that I know a lot of people worry about using a public progress tracker because it can be divisive and, you know, make kids who are, feel, or who are behind feel bad about themselves. And as you know, I use the public tracker a lot. It's one of my favorite tools, and I've actually never had any issues with it. Um, I've taught my students from the beginning to treat the public tracker as a guide and a way to find a friend to work with or a friend to ask for help. Um, they know that just because they're behind in one unit, that doesn't mean they'll be working behind in every unit. And I really like to stress that. I really like them to know that, you know what, maybe maybe multiplication is really hard for you, but next unit when we're learning about fractions, you might be ahead of pace the whole time because every unit is a fresh uh, start for them. So every unit was a fresh start for them to uh, be on track. So I liked that. Um, also, I think that a major a misconception is that when you're doing the modern classroom model at the elementary level is that you don't have any whole group experiences. And that's not true. Um, you can make as many whole group experiences 
or as little whole group experiences as you want. Um, I think it's more about them being meaningful. So having mini lessons or we would play like whole group games. Those are something like we'd stop the um, individual. We'd stop the self-pacing for a day and I'd say, let's do something whole group. Um, I think that it was important that I build in those experiences. And I, I think a lot of teachers think, well, I'm just supposed to let them go. But there are a lot of times that I am still working with them throughout that block as a whole group. And those are really good points too, Jess, um, because, you know, uh, some implementers actually do self-pacing, let's say on Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday, it's a whole group experience. It's a whole group shared experience, really. Um, and then we have some implementers who have like 90-minute blocks. And so they do like 30 to 45 minutes of self-pacing, and then the rest is either whole group or collaborative work, just so that it's not all self-pacing, right? Um, and thank you for sharing about your public uh, pacing trackers. I think it it all it it all depends on how the teacher rolls it out, right? So if it's something that you, like you're so excited about, you're so passionate about, and it's something that you know where students can collaborate with one another and a way to celebrate each other and a way to just kind of like see where they are, I think our students really grow to love it, and our caregivers and other stakeholders also learn to appreciate the the pacing tracker as well, just so that you know they they know for a fact it's not a way to like reprimand them. It's not a way to make them look any type of negative way. Um, and so you're right. Um, it, you know, just how a teacher rolls out the pacing tracker is super, super important. Um, and I, I like that you pointed out, um, again, like going back to the whole group as well, um, listeners, like before you've heard me say there's no right or wrong way to do modern classroom. And I was immediately um, corrected and called in, which was great by one of our mentors. And I really appreciate this. And, you know, the mentor was like, actually, there's like a wrong way to do modern classroom. I think there's just multiple right ways to do it. And I was like, oh, that's even better. Right. Like there's so many right ways to do modern classroom and it's really up to you. It's really up to your students. You get to decide how that looks for you and your students. And I think that's the beauty of this model as well. Um, and so what goals do you have for the rest of the school year, Jess? It's like slowly but surely getting there. Uh, what are you, what do you have in mind for the rest of the school year? So I am taking on my first group of mentees, which I'm super excited about. Um, and then my uh, in-class goal is that I would like to have all of my units completed for next school year. So, I mean, I've grown so much over the last year that when I look back at my first couple of units of last year, I'm like, what is this? Um, I feel like they just look so amateur and uh, kind of all over the place. So I've I reached the year mark about two units ago. So now I'm just kind of tweaking. So I'm in a really good spot. So I'm really excited to like really tweak everything from here on out. And then next year being able to start with a whole year's worth of great lessons and videos. Yeah. And Jess, we're so excited to have you as a mentor. Um, so exciting. Cheyenne, Cheyenne is amazing. And so I know that um, she's able to mentor you and I know you're just going to crush it as well. And so, and also um, finishing or yeah, planning your entire unit for the year. That's amazing. Um, kudos to you. <laughs> it's really commendable. Um, I love it. And so last but not least, how can our listeners connect with you, Jess? So I am on the Facebook group. Um, and my name is Jessica Billy. And I am also, um, you can send me an email at themodernclassrooms.org. Awesome. So I'm sure our listeners will reach out to you. And again, if you are not part of the Facebook group, we have now reached over 9,000 members in the group and we, our engagement is still so high. People are getting all of the ideas and all of their questions and all of their shout outs and all of their challenges answered um, in the Facebook group. So if you want more thought partners, um, Facebook group is definitely where it's at. That's where a lot of our mentors are as well, um, our DMCEs and just implementers from all over the world. So with that being said, thank you so much for spending some time with me, Jess, and sharing your expertise and experiences with our listeners. Listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassroom.org, and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 79. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org 
And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Thank you.